His feet breached a crust of frost with every step, and the cloud of his breath accompanied him like a chummy ghost. The Angelus rang, its bronze voice pouring through the sheepfold and over the orchard walls in slow, rich waves. It was a call to prayer. If he didn't go in, he would be missed, and if he was missed, he would be whipped. He didn't go in. Laszlo was always finding ways to slip off on his own and his legs were always striped from the hazel switch that hung from a hook with his name on it. It was worth it. To get away from the monks and the rules and the chores and the life that pinched like tight shoes. To play. Turn back now if you know what's good for you, he warned imaginary enemies. He held a sword in each hand. Black apple branches with the stout ends bound in twine to make hilts. He was a small, underfed waif with cuts on his head where the monks nicked it, shaving it against lice. But he held himself with exquisite dignity, and there could be no doubt that in his own mind, in that moment, he was a warrior. And not just any warrior, but a Tizer cane, fiercest that ever was. No outsider, he told his foes, has ever set eyes on the Forbidden City. And as long as I draw breath, none ever will. We're in luck, then, the foes replied. And they were more real to him in the twilight than the monks whose chanting drifted downhill from the abbey. Because you won't be drawing breath for much longer. Laszlo's grey eyes narrowed to slits. You think you can defeat me? The black trees danced. His breath ghost scudded away on a gust, only to be replaced by another. His shadow splayed out huge before him, and his mind gleamed with ancient wars and winged beings, a mountain of melted demon bones, and the city on the far side of it. A city that had vanished in the mists of time. This was the old mystery. It had come to him from a senile monk, Brother Cyrus. He was an invalid, and it fell to the charity boys to bring him his meals. He wasn't kind, no grandfather figure, no mentor. He had a terrible grip, and was known to hold the boys by the wrist for hours, forcing them to repeat nonsense catechisms, and confess to all manner of wickedness they could scarce understand, let alone have committed. They all had a terror of him and his gnarled raptor hands, and the bigger boys, sooner than protect the smaller, sent them to his lair in their stead. Laszlo was as scared as the rest, yet he volunteered to bring all the meals. Why? Because Brother Cyrus told stories. Stories were not smiled upon at the abbey. At best, they distracted from spiritual contemplation. At worst, they honoured false gods and festered into sin. But Brother Cyrus had gone beyond such strictures. His mind had slipped its moorings. He never seemed to understand where he was, and his confusion infuriated him. His face grew clenched and red. Spittle flew when he ranted. But he had his moments of calm, when he slipped through some cellar door in his memory, back to his boyhood, and the stories his grandmother used to tell him. He couldn't remember the other monks' names, or even the prayers that had been his vocation for decades but the stories poured from him, and Laszlo listened.
He listened the way a cactus drinks rain. In the south and east of the continent of Namar, far, far from the northerly Zosma, there was a vast desert called the El Muthaleth, the crossing of which was an art perfected by few and fiercely guarded against all others. Somewhere across its emptiness lay a city that had never been seen. It was a rumour, a fable, but it was a rumour and fable from which marvels emerged, carried by camels across the desert to fire the imaginations of folk the world over. The city had a name. The men who drove the camels, who brought the marvels, they told the name and they told stories, and the name and the stories made their way, with the marvels, to distant lands, where they conjured visions of glittering domes and tame white stags, women so beautiful they melted the mind, and men whose scimitars blinded.